everybody. Welcome to Improv FAQ at Length. This is a series of longer conversations about improv topics that have lots of questions surrounding them. And I'm James Quesada. I'm Bob Wick. And we're joined by a very special guest, our good friend Dave Powell. <gasps> yeah! Hey! Look at you two! Oh my god! Woo-hoo! It's like we're in the same room in different rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so close to you guys right now. Oh. Hey. Uh, Dave's, Dave is another friend of ours uh, based out of the Cincinnati improv community uh, and with OTR improv, and we're very excited to talk to him. Um, I see that you're wearing your Diff t-shirt uh, underneath, Dave. I thought I'd show some love to it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the topic nice. for this conversation is going to be simplicity, and I think specifically it might have been simplicity in offers. Um, that Dave suggested, and uh, I think this is a great topic. Uh, simplicity in general is something that I th- is a recurring struggle um, throughout everybody's improv career is like how to keep things simple. Um, so I'm excited to crack into it, and um, Dave, what made you want to talk about this topic? Um, so for me, I think it's, you know, when you watch shows and you're like, what are they doing? Like, if you're really liking a show, it's, what, what are they doing? And we always remember the end when things probably got really built up and unbelievably funny um, at really good shows. But then if you notice, it all started from just very simple reactions and moves. And we always forget like that part of it. And even when it gets even more complicated, and I think there's even more levels going on and layers, it still starts off with just very simple reactions or you notice how little they are doing. Yeah. If you were to go back and and watch a recorded show that you remember getting very complicated, and actually I'll I'll put it in in two ways too, because you're you're kind of talking about a show that ended successfully, Dave, (laughs) but even even a show (laughs) that went to shit, like that got real complicated, started out real simple. Um, The one that went successful stayed simple and on track longer <laughs> and then and then stack things um as as it went the the one that went off the rails just kept getting more and more complicated um but those cool. first moments are, are like it's it's funny what yeah. the, the memory of those first moments how simple they are and i thought go ahead bob sorry. Uh, I, oh thank you uh i think it's that common mistake we like that metaphor we've all heard or used uh bring a brick rather than a cathedral when yep. you're building something together and I think that's that's it. You know, keep it simple. It's yes and not yes and 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 also it's you know, just a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I, exactly. And I'm always amazed by how much people get out of uh, something that's just very deliberate, uh, deliberate and very direct. I tried to say deliberate and direct at the same time. There is what I noticed. No. So, uh, so direct a bit. Put it together. Uh, they said very direct a bit. And but then what? You notice is what they didn't say and how much space they left for someone else to, yes, bring their brick to build their part of the cathedral as well. Because um, I t- like um, we were just talking right before this. Um, I teach an improv class that's a beginner improv class. It's an intro to improv class. It's for non-majors um, at the university I teach at. And the one thing I always notice is how much they're trying to do and how much they're trying to direct each other. And it's one of those things that you're like, you're, you're all trying far too much. You're all trying too hard and you're barely, it's reminds me of like, as a metaphor, like 
remember like a um, very young Michael Jordan, he was everywhere on the court. He was running all of the time. He was up and down the court all the time. And as he got older and he got better, he slowed down and he was actually able to control the game more with um, his skill and also with the help of the refs, but that's a totally different um, podcast right there. Uh, but the idea, like he did less and got everyone else more involved and actually didn't have to do as much. Yeah. I think that um, maybe there's like a, I think this might be from the Keegan-Michael Key interview with uh, Sam Jones, where he says, everyone thinks about uh, thinks that improv is about moving fast, 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 thinking fast, right. but it's actually about slowing down um, and uh, taking things one moment at a time. And that's mm -hmm. the, the, the way that things build when you do that appears to happen very fast. Uh, but like you said, Dave, you can actually stay in control of uh, the building process the more willing you are to slow down. And even that, again, kind of going back to the idea of watching it back, what you think is um, super – there's so much going on in your head in the, in, the, in the beginning moments. But if you can kind of calm that, um, you're better off. And it might feel like, oh, this is taking a long time. But you go back and it's like, oh, shit, that, that kind of like uh, all fell into place very smoothly. I think, yeah, yeah. it's well, not actually, it's talk, actually slow, slow, it's smooth. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talk so much about listening and a great improviser listens and listens and listens, but we don't talk about pacing and, you know, they go hand in hand. You need to have that pace. If our job, you know, to get the big laugh is to, to build up tension. If you're going at 100 miles per hour, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to build tension. You're not a good storyteller. Storyteller is, you know, it's about the presentation of it. So, you know, use use the whole deer, like cut it up and like take your time. Don't don't rush upon things. And there's also that compound thing people do when they're rushing or doing that heavy handed like exposition because they they have a script in their head that they're not sharing with the rest of us or they are. But it's one piece at a time is they do those compound sentences where the other performer or other character can't react to the first part because they're answering the second part or trying to choose between the two parts, which is more important. You know, you just got five offers in one sentence and it's, how do I react yeah. to any of them? And yeah, I, the fact that we, I'm um, just, all of us kind of mentioned pacing and um, smoothness, that idea of, yeah, I don't want us to watch a show that is, 10 minutes of silence or nothing but tension building. But I also don't want to get that ruined by someone coming in with an edit or a tag out or something that adds something that you're like, Oh, you, you missed the most blatantly obvious thing that was going on right now. Right. And I think every once in a while, like that's what I'll do is like, you know, we were talking about shows that when you're watching it and you're seeing when they're struggling. And for me, most of the time, or the most obvious ones I can always think of are the ones that I'm like, if they would just react to what the other one just said, if they would literally play the game right in front of them or play to the promise that they've already given themselves because they're giving themselves gifts all the time. It's just, they're giving themselves too many gifts to open up. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, and also it gives you have to, the opportunity to, when you are listening to hold on to stuff, 
You know, uh, like Middleditch and Schwartz do that all the time. They bring up stuff during the interviews like, oh, I totally forgot that they talked about this is the town full of aliens or or, or been rumored to be uh, full aliens. And they bring it all the way at the end. If he started off with aliens then you know, it would have still been an interesting scene. But like there's that thing like uh, you're bringing back a piece of information we forgot. So it's not a reveal, but it's something interesting. And we forgot about it. And it's kind of like a, a great artist tool to use that that callback uh, in such a way, you know, and yeah. if you're going too fast and, you know, here's everything that's interesting at once at the top. You're screwing up your pacing. You've literally um, it, it's so great that you've um, brought up Middleditch and Swartz because I've been using it in my class as well, because, you know, in the time that we find ourselves in, I can't go, hey, go see the show on Friday night because that's not existing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas like, this is kind of like a perfect time for like a long form show that's actually been shot well and translates well for people to watch, um, on a broader level. And with them specifically is, yeah, if they used everything in the interview in that first scene, they literally run out of steam in 10 minutes, whereas they're playing the moments and, and they, they just trust each other. They're like, yeah, like it's okay if we bring them in or if we don't, but when they do, it's beautiful. And you're like, yes. And as the audience, we saw where it came from as well. It's not like, where did that idea come from? Because we weren't a part of it. Um, my, I use this metaphor a lot. In, um, I refer to the game as action telephone. I'm not sure um, what, we're, uh, what um, it's called in all the circles. But it's when like, you do an action and a sound, and the person recreates exactly what you did. They're not heightening. They're not bringing it down. They're just trying to do exactly what you just did. And then the next person does um, what, um, whatever they get past. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah. like the game telephone. And um, it's naturally going to change because people have different bodies and stuff like that. Uh, people will notice things. Things will get dropped. But then it becomes really funny in that, like, deep laughter. Um, cause I've watched this in class happen all the time where um, someone picked up the way they, like, maybe they chuckled when they did it. Uh, maybe they accidentally turned the wrong way, but the person kept it. And they just keep holding on to it and it becomes funny seeing everyone's interpretation of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. That I like that. That's uh, 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 with simplicity is also the idea that you don't have to force anything to happen. There are things that are going to happen naturally that you're hoping will happen um, such as heightening or, mistakes um that you can make use of uh and and you don't have to rush to get there it's not a race to to get to those things or to manufacture those things it's it's about doing uh doing the 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 initial job of of just improvising and connecting and being open to noticing um the things that happen naturally while you're doing that yeah i think one of the most dangerous i'm sorry go ahead bob no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the most dangerous things is whenever you um, talk with um, your group after a show and in the notes or the, you notice there was something wrong with the scene and someone's saying, well, what I was trying to do. And it's and it's one of those things like I was trying to make this connection from this to that. And they saw it in their head. And I think it goes back to the idea of like them writing the scene. And it's like I was trying to do this. And if it, it doesn't succeed because it was like, oh, everyone sees that connection. It was just the scene partner didn't see that connection. Then, yeah, maybe it was a listening thing. Or sometimes it then becomes a writing thing of, no, I was obviously trying to bring in something that we all didn't know. 
we all didn't share within the room. So it wasn't natural for us to um, actually, for me to interject this thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that because it's true. And that's something that, especially when you first start or when a troop still forms or uh, especially in those troops that get formed and everybody's really learning each other, like, oh, I've never met these people. Let's, you know, how, how are you playing? Um, yeah, some, some people who are more, I don't want to say dominant, but they, they, they kind of, you know, again, they're kind of, they write what they're doing ahead of time. Uh, that could be, that could be an issue. And that, that does come up a lot, uh, especially in the beginning. Um, yeah. So what, but, what are some, what are some things that you say to students that are having that, like, uh, that, that writer's brain, um, how do you help them get out of it? Are you, are you telling them? I, I go back and forth on, on on two approaches to it. Sometimes I'm like, uh, the things that you're thinking are good, um, yeah. but you, you don't have to use them like we were talking about. It's like, it's like just wait, you know, and stay open to other possibilities and, and play things as they go. And the other approach is to, like, just try to uh, focus so intently on, on your partner and what's going on that you stop thinking entirely about it and you can just react. Um, but... So, so that that's kind of how I think about it, or I try to figure out what mental space the person is in, if they need to shake it off or if, or if they are uh, just trying to use too much too fast. And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go from there. But how do, how do you guys help a student that is in that writer's brain? Um, for me, what I do uh, is um, I've, I've got a few things, a few of the exercises. And I think one mentality was uh, I remember years, years and years and years ago, um, Dan Izzo, uh, gave us this metaphor um was uh if you if you go to the playground you don't just swing on the swing once and then go over to the teeter-totter and get on that once and go down the slide once it's like no if you get on the swings first you try to see how long you can stay on that and go as high as possible and jump and then when you're done with that and tired with it then you go over the teeter-totter so like the same thing of like we don't need all of the information at once but really and like be involved and passionate about yeah. the information you're doing. Uh, so it's a mentality thing I give people. I think the exercises where like, you know, yeah, you make them repeat what the other person said to you and uh, they have, to, they either have to say, and, or I know you're right. Those type of exercises. Um, or when um, you limit how much they can do, I think um, an exercise where like you, they can only have three word lines or five, like at max five words. And right. if they're, if they're struggling with it, then usually what's happening is like, well, you're trying to take it somewhere. It doesn't need to go just be here with it and let it move at its own pace. Those are awesome. Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, I, I usually, again, you have to figure out why is it something they, they do? Why is it, why, I, for lack of a better term, why is it a bad habit that they participate in? And sometimes it's something as simple as they're taking the writing program and the improv program at the same time, and that's just where their head's at. It's not, it's not their personality. It's just like that's where they are as an artist right then, and th- that that can be hard flipping that switch, that toggle, um, because they're you know when they're doing their homework, they have to think ahead of time. Like, how do I want to finish the sketch? How do I want to finish the sketch? They get on stage. How do I want to, I want to finish the scene? How do I want to finish the scene? Yeah, and they can't really di- differentiate. Um, sometimes it's just like, you know a personality trait, you know, they like, they feel more comfortable in control. So like stuff that, that, you know, that can break them up that habit or make them more comfortable. Um, something as easy as playing new choice. 
is, is fun, you know, yeah. and, and showing them like throw yourselves your, curveballs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With the theory of, you know, your first choice might be the most obvious choice. And we're not supposed to be obvious storytellers. We're not supposed to be obvious people. You know, we're we're trying to show them a, a slice of life that no one's ever seen or that's more interesting. So wait for your third choice. And make sure that your third choice is a direct reaction to what all the information that's been given to you and what's been created. And that it's adjacent to the scene itself. Um, so so it, it kind of forces them to listen or just something as simple as making them do that uh, exercise where you have to repeat the last line. Your uh, the, the other character has said before you say your own and do it out loud so they get used to that. Like it's almost a yeah, it, it's an exercise. So it's training. You're training your brain to take everything in, dissect it, see if there's any subtext and reply to the subtext rather than the actual words. Cause I think that's another habit people, um, get into. Yeah. And that's a really interesting, um, thing that, that has become a recurring point of interest for me over the course of these conversations, which is ways to productively be in your head. Uh, especially while training and exercising, because what you're talking about, Bob, is taking time to do some analysis. It's, it's basically like doing script analysis um, for, for yeah. acting with a script, but you're doing it in real time, and you're like, I heard what this says, let me repeat it, let me see uh, what it's about, what's behind it, and what the literal text is saying, um, and then you make, make a more informed useful choice after that, having taken your time before you rush to respond. Um, And what that becomes, once you exercise that way, down the road, what that becomes is these collapsible moments where it's happening on its own because you're kind of like training your mind to think that way. But if you like zoomed in on it and um, looked at all the things that, that happened as you're hearing line by line, there's all these little micro connections that are being made and you're training your, your brain to, to do that without having to be so active about it when you're actually on yeah. stage. I mean, we're, we're as humans, we're, we kind of live in that world as it is. I mean, we, you know, you walk into, you, you walk into your house and you know how your girlfriend feels about you that day, by the way, she says, hello. We all been there and the good days and the bad we know. And <laughs> so, I mean, there, why should your characters in your scene be any different? It's natural. Yeah. I think also it takes a lot of work to become that natural. It, it's, you know, how they talk oh, about yeah. in sports, like the deep um, pass in football or um, watching um, free solo um, when he climbs um, um, El, like El Capitan, like how like the day he does it, it looks like, of course, it was supposed to happen and it looked obvious because he was so dialed in. It took nine years of work to get that dialed in and a bunch of failures. And that idea of, yeah, like, I mean, we, everyone knows about the 10,000 hours with outliers, but that like that idea of like, you have to practice this a lot and probably doing it only three hours a week uh, isn't going to get you there. It's going to just take a lot longer to get you there. Um, yeah. You've got, you've, but if you put in like an hour a day, you at least get seven more hours. That's four more than you had um, beforehand. And right. it'll, it'll make you more natural because yeah. I do remember um, Sean Hanlon calling me out on that when I was like going through SC and I was taking the writing class at the same time and just being like, I see you going through like your Rolodex of like, you're trying to hit a home run on every single line, take your single, take your double and just go with the simple thing right there. And when you get the big fat pitch, you'll hit the home run, but you don't have to hit the home. It doesn't have to be the funniest line. 
every single time. So let me ask you guys this. Um, when did when did that click for you? Is it something you guys did naturally or is it something like, oh, well, I mean, you, you mentioned that Sean kind of pointed out. And it, did it was that the moment or did it take some work or is there a scene or a set that was like, oh, man, uh, I really need to, to slow down a bit. I think the I think the way that it clicked um, most most um, permanently for me was reading the TJ and Dave uh, book, mm. Improvisation at the Speed okay. of Life. I, I want to I say this is from there. I'm probably miscrediting Keegan and, and TJ and Dave with all sorts of things, but like uh, <laughs> I, I think it's from that book. And 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 there's they talk about uh, the more you say, the less it means. Um, and, and so to just be. Oh, wow. uh, to make more out of less, and I've heard I've heard that plenty. That less is more. Um, it's not it's not what you say; it's how you use it. Like uh, th- those sort of things. But saying it with that phrasing of the more you say, the less it means, really drove home for me uh, what simplicity is about. Is is about making more meaning out of less things. Oh my God, James. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I just tell my students, like they just said, like your husband just said, they don't want to be with you anymore. Like react to that. Um, your kids are screaming and like, don't be the cliches, dad, like react to that. Um, just the idea of make it meaningful, make it like be vulnerable, let it cut you, let it affect you. Um, like it blows my mind how like they're just cool with everything. Then it's like, well, then you're going to get, not, you're not going to get anything out of any of that because none of this means anything to you. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, you, Bob? It, did, you, did you have a particular, sorry, Dave, did you have more? Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm still thinking about my moments. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. If I, have it, I, I, I got one. I got one. I'll, got one. I'll, I'll cover you. Um, <laughs> Take your time. You know what? Pace yourself. God, this Pace closet, yourself. This and when you're ready, light is hot. <laughs> uh, so me, so it was almost a compound thing. Uh, when I was at Second City, uh, Quentin Hicks taught a workshop, and it was incredible. I learned a lot during that workshop. That guy just about professionalism, uh, not just being on stage, but learning like the strong spots in your stage to, to, you know, in itself, like, uh, uh, for example, at second city, there was microphones, you know, stage mics. And he's like, well, I know this one's the best for singing. I know this one's the best for monologues when I, so when I'm doing a monologue, I'll, I'll, you know, move over here with my character. So the sounds better, like all these really cool techniques. And then he had us go up individually and he was giving notes and he, 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 he kind of gave me notes within the scene and I don't remember what they were specifically, but after the class, he, he kind of gave notes in an email and I still have it because it, it's just like, Oh my God, just incredible. Um, but he specifically told me to watch uh, background actors because they do so much with their face and so much and like you can tell by the reaction, you know, and some people, you know, some background actors like in a restaurant are just supposed to be eating and not paying attention. But like the good ones kind of do these slight movements and all the stuff. And he, he gave me a couple scenes to watch and like specifically one from seven. That like, look at this exchange, how they're saying all this stuff and and not actually saying any dialogue. 
So it's something to pace yourself with. And it stuck with me, but I didn't really know how to approach it or how to like utilize it for my own style. And then when we got to go and and I got to do, uh, oh, uh, Laughter House 5, when it was like the first time I actually did something that was like a long, not mono, but it's like a almost a one act, improvised one act. Um, yeah, it was, it's like an hour long pacing. show. Yeah. 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 Uh, and we all took turns being the lead. I, I really got to use that and it really started like it really it just something about that show and the rehearsal process really made it like click. And, you know, I watched I watched some of the stuff I did before that and after and my style just changed. Like even when I do short down, showdowns, which is all short form, I still I feel good I, about taking my time and letting the scene breathe and, you know, really heightening moment to moment rather than thinking I need to get funny per minute which I think it was my old style, like get in their face, like, Oh my God, if I'm not doing something, I'm not doing my job. And I think that's part of the problem we face when we first start this, this art is we think it's, we, we compare it too much to stand up comedians who, who are all about the laugh are all about, you know, everything, every sentence has to hit when that's not true for a storyteller, the storyteller is setting everything up to hit at the end or, or, or for, for having these big moments that, that pay off. So that's the payoff. Not every sentence should be a payoff. I, so what about you, Dave? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, Tell me you got you something, for, Dave. <laughs> I, I, come on, Dave. Uh, I'm gonna I be just quiet. killed three minutes, sir. <laughs> well, I'm going to be quiet and build tension for a while. <laughs> Um, actually, no, uh, you did, uh, you did totally, um, actually like, so how I want to answer this is, I don't know if I had a moment, but I had a process and I actually got to tell you a little bit of a story about myself. I'm not sure if, uh, um, Bob, I know you know this. I'm not sure James, if you knew this. Um, so I actually got my bachelor's degree, um, in fine arts painting and oh, really? I went to, yeah, I went to the college for creative studies up in Detroit. And, um, I remember actually when I had a breakthrough up there was, when I was in my studio, my senior year, I was, I had all these books out of like who I was trying to emulate the work I was trying to um, like emulate and be like, and I was struggling. And then like, I had a moment where I put everything away and I just started working. And then I noticed um, after a while, like um, after like months, when I finally looked back, I was like, Oh no, that's when I started doing it is when it wasn't like, so in my mind and it was so prescient I literally was just um, reacting. I was just in, I was just working with the pieces and I was just reacting with themselves. And I think I went through a very similar thing when, um, after I had, um, finally stopped doing the grad program, um, up in Detroit. So when, um, I moved, um, when I moved back to Cincinnati, but I was driving up every weekend, um, to do the SC grad program. Cause I was doing the same thing. Like I was, um, taking the writing classes. I was taking, um, leveled classes and, I remember like, yeah, I, like it was all prescient and I, I was trying to get the laugh all the time. Cause I think when we um, are writing those things, how do we milk the funny out of it? And how do we um, typically, yeah. a lot of people don't say it, but how do we milk the funny out of, how do I get the funny line? How do I get the oh. laugh? And when I noticed is when I started working on stuff down here, um, I was able to, like, I started actually doing a um, more scripted stuff, um, that was outside of um, comedy, but, um, was more, was more scripted stuff. And the idea of not serving yourself, how do you serve the scene? 
So even when you're not still not doing anything, like you're still doing something that serves the scene. What's the most important thing that needs to happen in this? And how do you help out? And actually like the collaborative element of people backstage are like helping you set props. You're setting things for other people. They're setting you. And if this thing doesn't happen, you can't do your thing. But also if you don't hit the energy at the same level or do the same things consistently, this person's moment is ruined. And so that responsibility of actually taking care of each other in scripted material, you know, like, yes, we talk about an improv all the time, but I got to put it into effect there as well. And I was like, oh, this makes sense for also how to present a show and how to be in my scenes. So it doesn't have to be about what does my character, um, how do I make my character look good? It's no, what does the scene need? And sometimes I need to be the horrible person or I just need to shut up and listen to the person right now to make this work. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I, there's so much (laughs) to be learned from, from, uh, scripted stuff. I, I think that that is, um, really like whether, whether it is, is doing some like, um, uh, script analysis and script reading, um, and seeing the way that, that like moments and arcs build, uh, and, and character intention is expressed. Um, or, uh, like, what you're saying, Dave, is, is being able to um, see improv tools in a new way uh, when you're working in, in a show that all the moving pieces are relying on each other um, uh, and and then reapplying that to improv. I think that's awesome. I mean, even, even Bob, what you were saying um, about uh, w- taking sketch and writing at the same time, like they have these not negative side effects. It's, it's, it's like, uh, getting to a point where where they can uh, have a positive effect on each other, um, yes, is is also super helpful for uh, for both. Uh, you just got to know which parts are you got to keep and which parts are not going to mix well. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with I. You brought up uh, Laughter House Five, Bob, and I think that that's true for me too. Is is maybe if I if I had to point to a moment when I started to uh, really value keeping things simple, simpler, playing more patient grounded characters it would be in that show which was uh for me also the first long long form um that i did an hour-long show and um i don't know if maybe this will take us uh, on, a, on a different tangent but just like, really quick for 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 dave like uh, can we explain laughter house five like really really fast yes yeah, please so. i was about to ask <laughs> yeah I, I, can, I can see it in your face uh, it's, it's, i'm sorry to interrupt but i was like dave is squinting a little bit like see and you are saying me. laughter house right so dave says so much with his face i'm paying attention i'm reacting um, and i'm seeing yeah so uh, go comedy does the ferndale reads show where the selected book of the year for um, this reading program put on by the library uh, gets featured in all these different ways. And one of the ways is that Go Comedy takes uh, the featured book for the year and then will adapt an improvised show that uses the themes um, and various elements of the book um, in a a show. Uh, Gary Lehman adapted an improv form out of slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. um and bob and i and uh a, a few others were in that show um and and it was our f- first the ferndale reed show is always a hour-long um long-form show format so uh 
that, that, that that's what the show was and and the well yeah you want to know the format <laughs> uh, no, i just i was curious so oh. like sounds like uh you're also not like just retelling it you're um, just taking elements and themes of it to inspire yes. yourselves cool 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 yeah, yeah and then yeah. The, well, yeah, what was this what like i mean i don't think i've done slaughterhouse five since high school so like my memory of it is vague but like i'm trying to also like the things i do remember is like how do you put that into a show yeah what do you do what was the themes? how did you format that? well yeah so great question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let, let's let's see if I can if I can keep this uh, succinct because uh, keep it simple. Exp- explaining Slaughterhouse yeah. Five uh, is is uh, probably going to be busy enough. Um, but right. it, the the protagonist in in the in Slaughterhouse Five um, is unstuck in time. So Billy Pilgrim is visiting um, these different points on the timeline of his life in a non-linear mm-hmm. way, and he's yes. jumping forward. Uh, to when he's old and he's jumping back to moments in the war. And uh, there's also a part of his life where he's abducted by aliens um, and, he, yeah. and he's in this um, alien, like human cage kind of thing. Um, and uh, so, so uh, he's bouncing around his own life um, in, in a chopped up uh, way. So because in, if uh, time travel wasn't weird enough for Vonnegut, yeah. let's throw aliens <laughs> in as well. Yeah, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, the idea of, of, of experiencing your life in a nonlinear fashion could be it. Yeah. And, and having war in there, like the Dresden bombing in there. And he's like, no, no, no. There's also six years where he's abducted by aliens. <laughs> but, but so for the show, um, we had one person play the protagonist who was uh, going to the, uh, excuse the sirens in the background here. Um, it puts us in a place. Gives us a place. Gives us a place. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Soundscaping. Soundscaping. Easy energy. Us. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but uh, but the protagonist, um, the, the the form was uh, would use a certain order of scenes where it would be like there's there's the present day timeline, the main timeline, and then there's like uh, scenes from the character's youth, scenes from the character being in war, and we d- of course we involved aliens. Um, but but you know the, the the relationship between all those things and the different characters uh, in that collection of scenes uh, were different, and we would bounce around. The, the the protagonist was in every scene, but uh, mm-hmm. we would bounce around those chapters in a non-linear way the same way that the book does so it sounds like because it's non-linear like the need to really listen to each other to be like where are we with this person right now especially as an ensemble and for that person to know where they are like that's that's like the most important thing almost is where are we right now yeah yes Cool. I think that's so. true, and, and, and but I think I think really for me the, the thing that that was uh, it's because it's longer, and because you have this opportunity for, to be a protagonist in in every scene where where you don't get that same kind of antsiness to get to the thing mm-hmm. that you do in shorter sets right. or in short form, um, and and so uh, yes, on top of a complicated story structure, um, getting long enough time to sink in and explore it uh, was something that opened things up for me uh, just to get a chance to play in a, in a different pacing, like, like we said. Um, and I think that uh, this is where the, the tangent uh, b- might come up that I mentioned earlier, but uh, just the idea that, that like in my experience with New York um, uh, and I know in Chicago and in LA, they, they are shrinking down uh, time slots a lot uh, in, in the normal times of when we're able to go out and do shows. Uh, long form slots uh, in New York 
tend to be like almost always less than 20 minutes. And sometimes in a lineup of troops in an indie show, uh, the, the time slots are like 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, and even if your group is like six or eight people, um, Excuse me. and that's tough. I, 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 I wish more people got a long, an opportunity to do real longer long form, uh, here and there, as opposed to things swinging the opposite way and trying to crunch everything down, because I think that's going to have yeah. the net negative side effect of not keeping things simple. Uh, yeah, um, I'm still reacting to like, well, I don't want everyone to get an hour, but yeah. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how it was for you guys, but you know, when we when I first started, my first troop was my class, and I had a big class. So we would get those 20, 22-minute slots, but we had... 15 people performing. So it did kind of create a bad habit of, I got to get out there and say something or I'm, you know, what's, what's the point, you know, or people aren't going to think I'm funny or whatever judge was in my head at that point. Uh, you know? So I think that's part of the problem with like stage time could be an issue. Yeah. yeah. So we do that as well as like, usually we give like people like 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Um, I think we've done that weird training bit of like most of the time they get around 2022. So you do see a lot of sets run out of steam at that time is because that's what they're conditioned to do. Um, Though there's also been other times like they were done after 12. I wish I could have uh, just uh, hit the lights on them then. Um, Probably would have been better for everybody involved. Um, (laughs) True, true. Yeah. um, But like, it, uh, but what Bob just said, though, the idea, though, of like, yeah, your first troop is usually your first class or like uh, people that, you know, and they're usually huge. And besides just the right. politics that are going on in those um, and the availability of people's um, different sets of um, how um, how much they're committed to it. And then you, you've got all those things going on. And one thing I've noticed is, yeah, the longer you your career goes. Usually, like, all of a sudden, then you're in, like, trios and duos, and, like, it's very odd that you see, like, people have been doing it for a very long time. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, um, of, like, people that have, like, five or six-person sets, unless it's, like, a show that's been going on forever that they, they've been doing for a long time. Whereas usually it's like, no, nope, uh, this person and this person, we have a rhythm, we have a pattern, we play with each other, and we know how to play with each yeah. other. And I'm tired of um, trying to get people out of rehearsal and different sets of commitment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Maybe what about, what do you guys think about the idea of like, <clears throat> yeah. Cause not, not only is it probably not a good idea to give everyone uh, 30 minutes to an hour uh, <laughs> when you're like, Oh, um, right. as, as developing students. Um, and also you just don't have the, the time real estate to, to realistically do that. Uh, but I'm wondering like, okay, what is, what would be like a beneficial solution? And, and maybe what I'm thinking is like, I've seen jams where um, a long form stage manager pulls lights or host can call scene or whatever, but like it's just two person scenes and uh, it's like three minute scenes. And it's like, I, I would imagine that for a lot of students, that's also a rare opportunity is to be like, I'm going to do a three minute two person scene guaranteed not to be interrupted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that'd be, uh, there was a show I was in, uh, Pittsburgh and they did something similar to that, but it was a seven, like you get, you just get seven minute chunks. It was called seven minutes in heaven and you get to go up there and either you can 
bring something like a sketch or, you know, you and somebody who's never played before can play together. Or you can just put your name in the hat and they'll pick two people to do a scene together. Hmm. And seven minutes is a long time if you don't, if you're not, you know, if you're not comfortable with pacing. So I, I think something like that can be very useful because like Dave said, sometimes you want to invest in these newer, newer troops, but they also have to do the work. Yeah. So me personally, like, if I'm going to give you that amount of time, you should have earned it some way, N- not just getting together, but getting together with a coach and actually exploring what this is, what this feels like. Uh, if you have more than 20 minutes, it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't ever be a, a rehearsal on stage. But sometimes it happens, but it treat, you know, treat the stage time with respect and an opportunity rather than an opportunity to rehearse. So, yeah, by having a coach and having someone like, you know, we've all coached. So if I was running a theater and I was giving uh, a student a long form or even like an hour show, like on a Thursday or something, when it's maybe not as busy, I would I would put the coach accountable. Like, is this a troop that can handle 45 minutes? If so, cool. If they don't, you got to coach them better. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends on the opportunity because it's like. I remember like half hour sets and 45 minute sets used to really feel like the norm um, growing up. And it feels like it has shrunk. It feels like 20 minute sets, yeah. uh, just like opportunities wise. Um, and like how like, yeah, theaters, even our theater um, does things. Um, I think it goes back, um, but we're also kind of like also talking about like, yeah, short form jams are easy. You, you got your, you got your list of people that you want up there. You've got the games that you're going to play. You call up the next people, you explain the game and you go. Um, with long form sets, is it like, so we, we experimented with some that we would do, we'd split everyone up and we we're getting like a ton of people um, coming to these so that each team would have like 10 to 15 people. We had like three teams and we'd give them like 15 minutes each. And it was, and, but then it became kind of cluster custody just because it was like, Oh, um, yeah, everyone's trying to get in there because it's like, I'm on, there's 15 other people up here with me, how to do this. And, um, how do I make, and then other people will, um, bulldoze everyone else there's other people that don't get off the back line the whole time um and and i kind of so there's also that like it wasn't the most successful thing where it had detriments to it as well um though i do love the idea of like yeah like you're gonna play a three-minute scene right now here you go here's a suggestion hit it yeah. we'll call scene on you no one's gonna come in tag you out or anything like that um, to see what those muscles are like um uh, so yeah, yeah I, I know i'm like i'm not I'm saying the interesting things about these things. I'm not giving any answers whatsoever. Hey, no, they no. weren't were in a good spot of the conversation. That's yeah. just the, yeah. the interest without answer. I, the, yeah. Now it's up well, to you, <laughs> yeah. fair audience. Well, <laughs> if this is both an opportunity and an exercise, what do you guys think about having like a shot clock type deal? You know, like this is three minutes. You can see the three minutes. So it almost teaches them the pace because if you're not, if you don't understand your own, you know, internal clock if you know if you're not comfortable with pacing uh or pausing and all that stuff seeing a visual representation of oh this is what a minute feels like this is what two minutes feel like this is oh we're gonna get there so time to tie everything up in a, in a nice bow uh whether you do you know because i've seen those scenes where the, there has been a shot clock present and people tie it up too quick because they don't realize how how long 30 seconds can be yeah exactly you know? yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like and they all lived happily ever after. Well, I think I th- <laughs> 29, <laughs> 28, yeah. 27, 26. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
uh, yeah, I think um, that's probably something. Maybe maybe it's like okay, we're talking about jams, but also in uh, in rehearsals having opportunities people always want to like run sets or again i think that's something that uh a little bit different for me in in new york than it was in in detroit where um uh sometimes a coach is a babysitter and, and they're like uh, we just want to run sets and let us know how it went and it's like uh but i i, I suppose uh, it's, a little, it's a little side jab at my experience for no reason. <laughs> no, no. Hey, hey, New York. No, yeah, boom, take that. <laughs> no. But, uh, uh, but, but, um, uh, you could probably do in in uh, rehearsals is like if you're gonna run a set maybe run a l- one that's a little bit longer and just kind of like get get a feel for a, a different um, pacing and a different opportunity to play um, a longer set because you will grow from it when you're under a different set of uh, pressures or, or or parameters. I think that um, on the on the having a clock on a jam one thing. Uh, that's interesting to me is that like how do you have that and then learn to not worry about it because the the countdown like you said can kind of have the same problem that we're trying to solve from the beginning of sets where it's like you're trying to move too quickly because you think it's it's over and you you're forgetting the the countdown so like or, or forgetting yeah. what those seconds actually feel like so how, yeah. how I think that doing that in a live setting um, might kind of if the goal is know the clock is there watch the clock. But also try to forget about the clock. Just have it. Just have it yes. remind you lightly of of where you're at, so you can check in and compare real time to your mental space. Um, I like that. I would imagine there's growing pains for a lot of people of not letting it um, send you into panic. Is there something? Um, I don't know. This is uh, what we y'all just said. Just uh, stemmed a, a cool um, idea. Um, at least I hope it's cool. Is the idea of like, yeah, what if it was a long form jam or, or an open scene jam? Uh, you've got a max of three minutes, but the host, they might call it before because it's not a teaching thing. Like, we don't have to teach everyone how to play a three minute scene. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, we're going to let you two play. And if you nail it a minute and a half, yeah, I'll call scene on you. And uh, you had another minute and a half left, but you know what? Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll get the next two people up. Um, but like, no, you have a max of three. We're not going to leave you out there for longer than that. Um, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, if because yeah. I'm sorry, I was just yeah, thinking, because like, I was like, give people a victory. That's it. Sorry about. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. Because uh, it also gives people the opportunity. Well, if you want to do a three minute scene, well, then you got to pace yourself better. So it is. Yeah, I, I enjoy that. Like you, like the making sure the clock's not the only thing that. That ends the scene. Uh, that's pretty cool. I, I, I mean, this is just my absurd brain thinking, but I also like the idea of it, of it being like uh, a, a minute, minute forty five, and being like scene, but then still waiting down the clock <laughs> until, <laughs> in, until until you start the next one. <laughs> uh, you didn't pace yourself right. I'm gonna rub your nose in it. <laughs> James Casada out. Bye. <laughs> I'm just gonna feel what that potential feels like. Yeah. <laughs> Talk amongst yourself. You would have filled it up if you made better decisions. Uh, that's great for a minute forty-five scene, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, no, you could have explored that backstory a little bit. Yeah, an extra minute. Um, I think there was a game right. there that we played, but uh, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
I would also like you to keep score. Well, last week, Bob and Dave only did a minute and 40 scene. Let's see if they can reach their full potential and do three minutes. Yeah, right. What do you say, guys? Can you? Oh, <laughs> my. And then there's a competition of like, yeah, like you're keeping track of how, ma- how much people time have taken on stage. Yeah. And, and like the goal is to like have as much time as possible because you get three minutes. Um, and then like, yeah. there's someone that like you call three minutes, but they're playing the game of like, no, they're not leaving because they're trying to keep more time on their board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Abusing yeah. the system. <laughs> oh God. Rollover minutes. Uh, it, you really, oh, wait, you, <laughs> you have rollover minutes. It's it's like, okay, you're going to, you're going to get 10 shows. And if you don't use part of your three minutes, it's going to accumulate. So if you want your last show to be 25 minutes, you're going to have to shave that off of <laughs> your three minute slot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Guys, I know you were building a beautiful scene, but I want us to save two minutes for next week. So I called it. I'm sorry. I called it. Yeah. Hey, Mom, what are you cooking for dinner? And scene. All right. Five minutes next week. Yeah. (laughs) That was going nowhere. I want this for next week. Yeah. I'm sick of playing the mom. Um. Okay, so so uh, let, let's let's wrap it up with these thoughts. Um, uh, what would you guys, if you were going to teach a workshop on on simplicity, um, regardless of what the exercises are that that went into it, by the end of it, what would you hope that the biggest takeaway would be for um, people who took that workshop? Uh, I think for me is uh, did you either of you see the movie uh, Grandmaster? Uh, it was about uh, uh, what's his. Um, Ip that taught um, Bruce Lee, but it was like his life before like World War. Um, yes. One. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about, and a lot of it is philosophies of like all these different types of martial arts philosophies. And, and the um, very Reader's Digest version is he's a Southern master. The Northern masters are kind of douchey to everyone, but they are like the better fighters. And he goes and talks, but he's by far the best fighter in the country. He talks to all of the Southern masters and they all have different perspectives on stuff. Um, and like, I started taking that to improv and everything like that, but he talks about in fighting, we have all these different philosophies, all these different schools. Um, but it always comes down to, uh, the vertical and the horizontal. And they refer to it as like the vertical and horizontal strikes, but also like one person standing and one person's on the ground at the end of it. Like it's that simple. And I think for, for me, if I was teaching a class about simplicity, I think if all they came away with it is listening and reacting just to the information that's in there, that information that's there, not bringing outside stuff. What's that thing that's being built in that moment? So listening and reacting in the moment, if they started using that as a habit, that's what I want them to take from it. I love that. I absolutely love it. Uh, For me, I think it would be that that whole idea of everything that you need in an improv scene happens in the first couple of seconds of first beat, if you will, and really exploring that beat and then using that through discovery, creating an arc rather than offering up some, keep on offering up different things until something sticks. Cause I think that's a bad habit. People do like, uh, that, I, I'm not comfortable with this. How about this? You know, I'm forcing today to be different than allowing today to, to be different. Uh, the other thing I hope they would take away is just because you have an idea doesn't necessarily mean it's the time to use it. Mm-hmm. So having the freedom of putting stuff on your improv shelf and so like you can you can really max that out or, you know, or, or either use it as a heightening device or a momentum device. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> I think. Um, what about you, James? I think I would say uh, I'm actually going <laughs> to just to prove the benefit of, of these conversations. I'm pulling something that I uh, came across earlier in this conversation, which is going to be uh, it's about it's not about fast or slow. It's about smooth. So slow down now so that uh, whatever habits you have aren't getting in your way and whether you are going to move nice and slow and patient or uh very, you know, fast and impulsive, the things that you do will smooth out no matter what pace you're moving at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Before we let you go here, Dave, uh, is there anything that you want to plug that you've been working on that we can uh, find online or anywhere else? Yes. Uh, so uh, you can always find more information at otrimprov.com as well as we're producers of Comedy Sports Cincinnati. You can, um, Comedy Sports Cincinnati right now has a regular Monday night show on um, YouTube at 7.30. That's a family-friendly um, short-form improv show. Then on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, we have an improv jam um, that um, anyone can join and actually play for an hour if you're looking for something to break up your day. And then on Thursday nights, uh, we have one of our um, instructors. Uh, she's doing an improv crash course. That um, It's in week three right now. We're going for another four weeks. Um, so I think by the time you hear this, probably have another two weeks. But anyone can jump in on that. And I know it's it's more long-form based um, for um, that type of audience. I think by the time they'll be working on Laurent's and Harold's um, so I've seen stuff. And then on Saturday nights, we also have, um, we're producing a crime procedural um, called um, Twin Valleys. It's, uh, and it's a uh, Facebook Live. Um, technically, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, um, it's, that's really fun. And then I'm working on a podcast right now. I'm an actor in a podcast. It's called Have Monster Will Travel. And that is um, a, it's a podcast done by um, Queen City Flash locally here in Cincinnati um, to um, a bunch of friends. And the idea behind it is um, a best friend, her and her monster. They're trying to find out this monster's origins. And there's about probably about like five or six um, episodes right now on Spotify, on iTunes. And I think that's also one that any um, member of the family can watch or listen to as well. Cool. <clears throat> that's that's awesome. That's, that's a lot, man. Good wow. for you. Wow, you're keeping busy, bud. That's well, good to hear. trying to, yeah. trying to. Cool. Yeah. Well, again, it was it was really great to just chat with you, and we appreciate you taking the time. And we'll catch you next time on Improv FAQ at length. Love you, buddy. Good seeing you. Love you guys. Love you.